Construction Big Breakfast, where we give you a hearty serving of insider tips and business strategies to help fuel your day so you can thrive in the construction industry. Now, here's your host from Invent. Right, so welcome to uh, another edition of the uh, Construction Big Breakfast. Uh, I'm your host for today, and I've got two guests here. Uh, one I'm sure you recognize from a previous podcast is our resident architect, Sarah. Morning. Morning. Sarah. Uh, and our special guest today is Antonio Pisano of Marcel Mauer Architecture. Uh, do you want to give uh, a brief intro to yourself and um, sort of what Marcel Mauer are about? So good morning, um, everyone. I'm Antonio. Thanks, uh, Ben, and thanks, Invent, for inviting us. I'm the director of Marcel Mauer Architecture. We uh, started as a East London-based firm in 2011. We then grew, um, forming another studio in Paris and another one in Italy, near Milan. At the moment, with more like a, a collective of uh, architects scattered around Europe due to COVID-19. Um, we, we focus different scales in the built environment from regional uh, planning, master planning, urban regeneration, all the way down to workspace, retail and residential. So, so we, we are particularly excited by the uh, um, new prospect, new paradigm of circular economy and sustainability. Really, what we're trying to do is to realign uh, humanity uh, and nature through construction. Excellent. So, and for those of you who have visited um, Invent HQ before everything uh, happened, uh, Antonio is um, the uh, the other resident architect who uh, occasionally um, uh, visits the office and who helped us design um, our space that we all um, thoroughly um, sort of love and enjoy um, being able to be part of, and hope uh, hopefully one day we'll be able to uh, to go visit again. Um, so um, just as a, a sort of uh, a, a bit of background as to how we got here, um, so myself and Anto have been friends for, um, uh, without making ourselves sound too old, it must be a good 10 years, <laughs> um, if not slightly longer, when we first met um, through uh, Constructing Excellence G4C. Uh, and um, I was lucky enough to, uh, to have Anto as, uh, as my co-chair when I was National um, G4C Chair. Um, and we had lots of fun, didn't we, Anto? During those um, few years, um, trying our best to uh, scare the industry uh, into um, doing things slightly differently. Uh, it was it was a fantastic opportunity. It, when um, we got elected, uh, it was a winter uh, constructing excellence reception at the House of Commons, um, and I still would not believe that this uh, group would let an Italian architect, um, you know, be. Uh, Part of the chairmanship of GPC National, um, and it all seemed all you know too sensible to have uh, a procurement manager um, along. Um, when I heard yeah. that specific individual was Welsh, uh, my initial doubt um, on the sanity of the uh, organisation. Yeah. Yeah, well, they knew they needed someone, um, you know, from a, a QS procurement background to keep the architect in line. And they thought going for an engineer might be too far. <laughs> They'll never get that. <laughs> it was, it was, it was really quite an important experience. I, I trust Ben for both of us. Um, at the time of <clears throat> G4C, our task really was to push the industry towards embracing the uh, innovation agenda in the realms of sustainability, 
you know, minority inclusions and um, artificial intelligence uh, and, and innovation. And I think it was great. You know, we had uh, lots of freedom uh, from from constructing excellence, and we could carry out, uh, you know, excellent uh, work such as you know conferences and events and white papers and interviewing people. And uh, yeah, it was it was really important to see the boundary. Uh, of the space-time warp of the construction industry at the time, and then trying to push it even further. Yeah, and you think of some of the things that we were doing around open data um, and, and that part of um, the world, especially, um, and, and you're getting a bit of pushback, uh, but you see it now being sort of uh, really at the heart of so many conversations. So we were just a little bit too much ahead of our times with some of what we were um, trying to uh, trying to say. But you know, times change. Um, I mean, if you um, if you think about where we were a year ago, give or take, Anto, um, you know, you were giving me and um, and Jack uh, rock climbing lessons in Cyprus, um, yeah. pretty much twelve months ago, uh, and now we're not allowed to leave the house, so things change <laughs> quite drastically. Um, so uh, th we organised this last week after um, you sent round um, a little video and article. Um, that you did about sort of this new idea that you've got, uh, hide and seek, um, but also sort of a real focus um, around circular economy, um, where we are with that, how we could be better with that uh, within the industry. Uh, I mean, do you want to give a, a bit of a flavour of um, where you were coming from, Anto? Yeah. Um, so, well, first of all, I need to tell you what I had for breakfast, Ben, because you, you told me that. You forgot. You forgot. I'm going to I had a good breakfast just to be able to understand. There you go. You host, Anto. You host. I'll sit back. You be the host. You are completely right. I've I've done what you do. I've gone off on a tangent and forgot what the point was in the it first was place. For three years, it was it was that so, kind of. It's a very good point. Anto, what did you have for breakfast today? Well, as much as I brought the, the matter and the topic back up on the agenda, I really don't have anything particularly exciting to share. Um, <laughs> I had a very strong coffee and cereals. Um, that was it. I like to have some certain consistency um, uh, in the morning since the rest of my life uh, gone a little bit in shambles because of COVID-19. So my breakfasts are, um, yeah, an entirely consistent uh, day on, day on. Well, there you go. Yeah, and I'm similar at the moment. I, I'm a porridge and fruit man uh, most days of the week. Uh, I mean, Sarah, things are a little well, bit different. Um, You're fasting well, at the moment. Exactly. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm a little bit more boring than you guys because I'm fasting. <laughs> so I didn't get anything. <laughs> so you, yeah, you, you've got a little bit of a wait until, um, uh, until you can eat. But is, yeah. it, is it all going all right for you so far? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. It's good, actually. Are you finding it with the current um, uh, circumstances we find ourselves in any harder or easier? I mean, physically it is easier because, you know, we're, we're at home, you're not moving a lot, but uh, staying home, you can you can count the seconds which, within each minute <laughs> and the minutes within each hour <laughs> because the fasting hours are long. So it's, it's until 8.30 till I eat. So imagine 8.30 in, in the evening. <laughs> So, yeah. yeah. Right. Well, you never know. Sarah might be able to sort of edit this bit back into the start of the podcast. <laughs> it'll all be seamless and I won't get sacked to her host. It'll be fine. We'll work it out. It's great. Anyway, 
back to um, what, I, what we were going to talk about, uh, your video and article. And what we might do is we'll, um, we'll, we'll maybe link your YouTube video in the, um, the description of this, um, this podcast just so people can, if they're interested, uh, go, go have a look as well. <clears throat> so, so to kind of um, briefly touch on, on that specific video, that video refers back to um, a, a design that we um, initially wanted to pitch to Airbnb. Airbnb earlier this year uh, organized a competition to fund $100,000 for a new idea for um, you know, tourism. Uh, a particularly interesting, you know, piece of architecture, um, and we thought, okay, that's that's interesting. We are active in eco tourism already, with uh, several master plans and collaboration with specific f French operators, and we believe that eco tourism will have an enormous part to play um, in the future of uh, traveling and in the future of of tourism in industry. A specific um, local. Um, investment and local innovation plans, uh, making the most of easy access, uh, natural environments, will play a key part uh, in reshaping our holidays since, um, you know, long distance flying will be trickier, no doubt. So we, we started this um, project. In the meanwhile, as many of you probably know, Airbnb uh, thought it was a good idea to postpone that uh, innovation fund forever. Uh, so uh, up until I think to, you know, a month ago, we're still up and running to get this competition. And in the meanwhile, Airbnb said they're cancelling um, until further notice the uh, the fund and the competition, which is fine because we, as most architects probably know, um, any element of R&D um, is indeed welcome to push further, um, you know, the studio's agenda. So it, it, although the original purpose of the competition disappeared, it was extremely useful for us to explore certain concepts or particularly um, uh, related to uh, being able to self-isolate in nature and establishing a deeper bond uh, with nature. So the project the video refers to is a standalone grid um, retreat, you could say, uh, which kind of looks like a tree uh, with, a, with a parametric design uh, cocoon on top. Um, and it's meant for short uh, let uh, stays um, for small people, like sorry, small people, small groups of people. Uh, people are not small people like you aren't allowed, aren't they? Oh, I can't get fit in. Um, for for small groups of people, like small families or couples or even like individuals, to just find peace and silence and a better connection um, in the natural environments. Um, and the project is is quite lovely. We are thinking to approach. Um, institutions such as, uh, you know, the forestry commissions or, or woodland trusts. So, you know, it, it large established um, operators in the management of wild areas, because we believe that uh, alongside the individual, um, you know, purchase installations of this, uh, um, you know, self-sustainable off-grid retreats, be quite interesting to actually have a, uh, a more central um, organized infrastructure approach to the uh, location of this um, off-grid retreat. So I think mean, that's so, all carry on. So yes. So so was the, um, the the competition itself? Did that require the um, sort of the environmentally um, sort of sound and um, you know that consideration of nature? Was that part of it, or was that your um, sort of passion um, for sort of um, 
uh, being more empathetic to nature in design. Um, was that what drove you to that solution or was that something Airbnb asked uh, as part of the, um, the competition? Yeah, um, absolutely not. That was not strictly required uh, by Airbnb. There was a reference in the brief on uh, the um, showing uh, a positive, positive impact in terms of social value and environmental value. Um, but as many architects probably know, uh, clients' briefs are mostly an opportunity to push forward your own agenda and your own kind of research passions. Um, and sustainability, circular economy, and the overcoming of modernity and finding of a new paradigm are very important um, core values um, for us um, as, as a group. Um, so in essence, this uh, competition and the uh, matching opportunity emerging from uh, having relocated in the countryside from our busy life in London um, really was like perfect storm uh, to allow us to kind of uh, finally um, concentrate uh, two or three years of intense kind of parallel studies in, you know, what's next uh, for architecture, what's the next kind of frontier for uh, sustainability and circular economy. Um, and what is COVID-19 teaching us in, in terms of how we relate to Earth as a, a complex system? So indeed, <clears throat> the competition was really an opportunity to uh, start to test um, in, in real life uh, some of the concepts and uh, theories we've been researching. So I have a question about the design. Um, you said that you were trying to increase the connection with the nature. So did you work with vernacular architecture specific to the surrounding or uh, you applied some modern applications uh, in some uh, countryside? I'm just curious to know about your theories and, and your application in terms of design. Was it uh, location specific or it was like a broader concept that you can apply it in, in several locations? So um, rural architecture uh, compared to contemporary architecture, modern architecture, certainly has an element of humanity, a human scale, uh, and can be traced back to the, the size of the construction materials, the proportion of the buildings compared to uh, the human proportion. So in that respect, it's, it's closer to um, understanding of what construction is about. It's still very much um, anthropocentric, it's still very much uh, uh, focused on humanity. So, you know, mm -hmm. humanity is the ultimate, um, you know, point of focus, really, uh, of such research. Um, so what we kind of try to do is, is really concentrating on the psychological connection between um, homo sapiens and the, the, and the biosphere. So mm -hmm. we are um, becoming more and more aware by extending our studies that the fundamental, the fundamental point of disconnection between Homo sapiens and, and the biosphere and Earth at large um, could be traced back to the uh, first agricultural revolution. So we're talking mm -hmm. about oh, a thousand years ago when uh, hunters and gatherers started to kind of settle down um, into um, a small settlements. They started to grow the land. Um, and what um, was previously seen as a benevolent mother, so nature that provided free of charge uh, all food and shelter. Sources. Exactly. Suddenly became um, unpredictable and cruel uh, external mm. forces. 
Yes. So, and this is this is um, matched quite beautifully by the belief systems that different civilizations uh, built uh, over the years. So, hunters and gatherer um, community and tribes still refer to nature as a family. Mm-hmm. So, the so other animals are brothers and sisters, and the earth is seen as a, as a mother, as much as the sun is seen as a father. So, this kind of extending our own family into the natural environment um, is, is is a clear cognitive patterns than hunters and gatherers still today for those tribes still existing um, is evident. The moment that humans settle down, they suddenly start to project their own anthropocentric uh, paradigm to the the religious belief system. So societies become patriarchal, society becomes uh, about humanity controlling nature, Mm -hmm. nature. And this control of a nature then becomes the most important um, narrative behind the scientific revolution. So what, what's really been interesting in the last three years of, of kind of uh, uh, studies, I'd say, um, is, is how everything is connected. So you could link back our um, climate change uh, with the way we exploit natural resources, mm. which is very much linked to you know, capitalism, and, and how that links back to um, colonialism, and how that links back to Western thought, and by Western, I would say Indo-European dualism. So, you know, all of this boils down to a very, very simple question. How do we realign with nature? How how do we evolve beyond anthropocentric uh, paradigms? How do we put uh, mankind back into the wheel um, of, of nature rather than on top of the pyramid of nature? So, and how does construction and architecture respond to um, such a uh, question? So that's what we're trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that that sort of last bit sort of frames um, some of, you know, why we thought we'd get you on here today. You know, what does the our industry need to do to um, to overcome that? Uh, ignorance uh, at times as to um, what it is we create, why we create it, how we create it. Um, And I guess coming back to some of what you were saying, um, you know, we don't ask ourselves often why enough, why are we doing this and what is the impact of it? We talk a lot about outcomes now, don't we? What is the outcome? What am I trying to achieve? But we don't necessarily think that in a um, so that's that, the entire circle or the pyramid and maybe that's part of the problem we shouldn't be calling it a pyramid because that sort of indicates a certain sort of level of um, uh, you know someone has to be at the top but that's wrong in many ways isn't it in, from what you were saying it is more about that circular um, uh, attitude and economy um, that we're starting to talk about how can we make sure that no one is left out and no one is negatively impacted um, your negative externalities, as um, you, you say in your um, uh, in your video, Anto. You know, we we can almost convince ourselves that it's okay um, because it's sort of an externality rather than actually being directly something that we do. Whereas that doesn't quite make sense, does it? <laughs> I mean, it is because of my actions that this happens. It doesn't quite make sense because uh, Earth is is eventually is a closed system in terms of you know uh, matter. It's not closed in terms of energy. We uh, we take energy from the sun, uh, but then you know all matter um, changes status um, within 
within uh, our uh, biosphere. So the point really is that negative externality only represents how little we know about the feedback loops um, in other kind of simple terms, what goes around comes around. So we can't just simply ignore uh, the collateral effects of our agency on Earth by saying, oh yeah, you know, someone else will pay the bill. Um, uh, you know, a, a great economist that I've been reading for years, Jerry Rifkin, refers to our civilization as been borrowing from natural assets uh, uh, for millennia. Um, and climate change is basically the way to coming back to us and showing us the bill. So, um, so yes, negative externality really are linked to uh, a certain thinking uh, approach that um, is based on othering, it's based on um, separating what matters to us to what doesn't matter to us. So something we, we concern with to, to the rest of the world that we just simply say, well, it's got nothing to do with me. I'm not interested in that bit. So these lines of othering uh, by which um, a certain business case, own case only looks at the bottom line and is frankly completely uninterested by you know, the collateral effects is, is really rooted in our way of perceiving reality. Is, it goes back to kind of Indo-European um, framework by which there is a world of perfection, the world of pure reason, the world of God, um, and there is a world of imperfection, which is mankind, which is um, the rest of the world, which is nature, which is um, you know animals and plants. So by splitting reality between what matters to us and what doesn't matter to us, we basically decide to willingly ignore huge chunks of reality from which, surprise, surprise, the feedback loops, uh, loops come back to hit us. So the, the point I'm trying to make is that um, we need to evolve in a way that doesn't uh, allow negative externalities to feedback and to uh, hit us back. In a way, climate change is, is just this, is the feedback loops that we've been, you know, we've decided to ignore for millennia um, hitting us back. So is that a cultural issue or an educational issue or a bit of both? Do we purposely ignore the feedback loop because we generally don't care, we don't want to care, um, you know, that, it, you know, are we culturally, um, generally um, and specifically as an industry sort of too selfish to think about it? Or is it more of an educational issue that we don't fully understand? Um, and we don't know what um, it's, you know, that for the, those four boxes, uh, are we um, uh, consciously unaware uh, or are we um, consciously aware? I can't remember now what they are. I shouldn't have, shouldn't have mentioned it without really reminding myself what they were first. Um, but, you know, do we know what we're doing or do we not know what we're doing, essentially? Uh, I, I think that um, culture is the key word. I think it is almost impossible for us to at the moment, at this stage of our uh, cognitive evolution, um, to really embrace a way of thinking by which um, negative externalities um, don't exist anymore. Um, we we are our thinking, particularly you know Western thinking coming from you know Indo-European um, thinking patterns, uh, is based on othering. Is based on splitting reality between uh, us and and the other. So it is very much about culture. 
um, you know, we had, uh, from a technology point of view, solutions to climate change 50 years ago. You know, what the policies are kind of slowly waking up to right now is something that our scientists and our, um, you know, predecessors have been working on for the past 50 years. The reason why that um, thinking shift hasn't happened yet has got nothing to do with science or technology. It is all about consciousness and culture. I mean, Sarah, you're obviously um, doing your master's at the moment at the, um, the, the Bartlett School of uh, Architecture at UCL, uh, and you're involved with quite a few of our architectural clients. Um, I mean, how are you seeing things um, sort of across um, the industry where you sit uh, in terms of that wanting to learn, wanting to be better? Um, or is it a case of we'll just carry on what we've been doing for years? I mean, definitely everything should change now. And I think governments are now obliged to change. I think as well, there is a role uh, in uh, in policies and, and from the government that uh, they need to change in terms of, uh, you, you were mentioning that culture, that it is a cultural issue. But uh, for me as well, I think governments and policy has a big role in this. And I couldn't help but notice uh, this, this relation between the decentralized approach in cities and the circular future that, that everyone is talking about. So what do you think, I mean, especially now with the COVID-19 pandemic that, that came with closing of the borders. Uh, we, we saw like how decentralization is essential and uh, we saw the tremendous effect that had uh, on, on each country after closing its border in terms of supply chain, food supply chain, everything. Uh, so uh, do you think those concepts will finally be translated to a practical application? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm asking you because of your urban planning and master planning background. And I, I noticed as well from your video that you were trying to do like a decentralization of tourism, which is uh, which is for me personally, I really appreciate this approach because I'm, I'm coming from 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 Lebanon and uh, I can see there uh, the centralized approach and in this part of the world. Uh, and that approach is uh, avoiding people from getting their basic needs. So, for example, if you wanna if if, if you wanna be uh, close to anything in terms of education, uh, good health services, you have to be in the center, which is the which is the capital. So, in a broader point of view, what is your view, especially after after the pandemic? Do you think governments will finally act other than sustainability approach? Will they have a, a different approach to, towards decentralization of services? Um. So there's, there's two questions here. Uh, first, well, you know, what's the role of, of decentralization um, uh, in, in coming out from COVID and coming out better from COVID? Um, and the second, will our governments, um, you know, finally embrace these new policies? Um, I, I, am I correct in summarizing? Yeah, yeah. I would say that um, I think the role of decentralization is key to increase um, resilience in our system. So you could see, you know, human civilization as being a complex system. Um, and uh, over the years, through globalization, our complex system has become more and more fragile. Our financial markets are completely interconnected and interwoven. The moment uh, a butterfly flaps their wings um, on the other side of the world, <laughs> and Lehman Brothers, are back, 
<laughs> so, you know, complexity is 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 got um, a, a crucial part to play in this, um, and uh, our our systems um, have become extremely fragile. Are you from Lebanon, and I'm, I'm you know, uh, you make me think of one of my favorite authors, uh, uh, Salem. Uh, well, oh, uh, who's spoken about fragility and anti-fragility, and I think um, you know, all these researchers are coming together in really understanding how biosphere is ultimately resilient because it's diverse and because it's got localized complexity of self-sustainable um, and self-balancing systems. So, you know, emulating uh, nature, um, so some sort of biomimicry which goes beyond uh, blob shapes architecture. Um, really should look back at our systems and understanding how um, ecosystems are ultimately resilient because they, they find automation, they have no waste, and, and at a local level, um, they make the most of energy coming from the sun, um, you know, creating nutrients and uh, providing for the food chain. So um, I would love to see uh, a localized intelligence um, in, in human systems um, which uh, somehow answers to your first question, um, and, and ecotourism as well as localized food supply chains, you know, all point towards the right, uh, you know, uh, direction. Indeed, um, will this be enough to to get us to the tipping point um, in which we kind of pull the plug from globalization? We pull the plug from. Um, basically kicking the can down the road in terms of externalities, which is what globalization really is about. Um, I don't think so. Um, I don't think that um, the, well, it has to do with how people think. And the last, the vast majority of our political leadership is still um, embedded within a, a paradigm of uh, extraction, usage um, and waste. Um, is still embedded with um, the idea that nature is for us uh, to use um, and and waste, um, you know, the moment is out of our sight, is not strictly, uh, you know, our business, really. Someone else will have to pay the bill. Um, so, well, things are changing. Well, we're having this conversation. Uh, more and more people are kind of demanding, you know, uh, a more uh, sustainable approach um, to to our agency on Earth, all this is happening, um, and there's some beautiful text on on tipping points. Um, personally, I don't think that this has been long enough, uh, but maybe, and sadly, it, it may be longer okay. than we think now. Um, and uh, and the more people can stop um, and question their lifestyles and 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 start to realize the fragility of our civilization, I think uh, the more these sort of conversation will then trigger innovation in policies but politicians only follow what people think it's it's yeah. around so um i forgot to ask for breakfast and i'm letting it overrun <laughs> so uh I've, I've been a terrible host like two key jobs i've failed miserably so uh, we will sort of try and bring it to a close there um i mean anto um it's been great as always uh, and i think there's um a few different things that we could explore potentially in future podcasts there. Um, if you were to quickly give one um, brief little um, uh, request um, or um, direction uh, to the industry where you think we could or should go um, to, to be more empathetic to, to, to nature and what we design, uh, what would it be? 
Um, Quick, remember. Okay, so so you know my my request to the construction industry uh, would be to take the opportunity to slow down, to realize the amount of noise which is influencing our choices, and to realize uh, how much of what we uh, leave as legacy um, is debt, is environmental debt, um, is is. Uh, maintenance cost debt. We are just basically building up issues for people to to deal with um, later on in life. So my suggestion would be to slow down and reconsider our supply chains and and question: Is this the best we can do? You know, how comes that a simple patch of wood, you know, let's say uh, an ancient forest. Um, is far more optimized in terms of energy use, usage, uh, in terms of waste management, than any of um, human innovative technology. What can we learn from Earth automation? So if, if um, evolved systems tend to automation, what can we learn from nature? So if people could like slow down, take the opportunity COVID gives to, to reflect and innovate our systems, how would they answer this question? Mm. Oh, excellent. Well, thank you very much for what's been a fantastic thank you. Uh, That's conversation. Very interesting. And Sarah, thank you uh, for joining us as well. Um, so uh, for, for our um, listeners, viewers and everything and everyone out there, uh, make sure you tune in uh, next time uh, for, for our next uh, Construction uh, Big Breakfast. As um, the uh, the videos my daughter watch would say, don't forget to like and subscribe, uh, and uh, make sure that you stay safe in the current environment. Thank you very much. Come to Invent for the highest R and D tax credit you can claim. We help construction businesses get back millions in tax credits every year. Contact us today for a free review. Thanks for joining us this week on the Construction Big Breakfast. Make sure to visit our website, www.invent.com, where you can subscribe to the Construction Big Breakfast on all platforms so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a positive rating. Or if you'd simply share it with a friend, that would help us out too. Be sure to tune in for our next episode.